everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two-Headed Game Master. I'm Cosmo, the head of your worst nightmare. And I'm Dane, the got-ants-in-my-pants head today. Uh, Two-Headed Game Master is a podcast about writing, designing, running, and playing role-playing games, where we discuss our favorite hobby, share our thoughts with you, and even play some games. And, uh, shit. I feel a little weird in the shoulders here. Mm. <gasps> Folks, you know what Third end is coming out! Yeah. Oof! <laughs> Oi! Oh my god, what a lovely room. I am Sharif. Today, I think I'm the guest. The guest head on the shoulder. On Dane's shoulder, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, we're two he- we're, we share the same body. Yeah. So, just. It's a pretty big know. body. I'm well, not trying yeah, to, like, <laughs> weight shame you guys. Now it's got three heads. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyways, uh, Sharif is a longtime friend. Uh, he's played some games with us um, through our development of Afterlife and the Eclipse Engine. Uh, give us a little background, Sharif, like you know your experience role playing. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Sharif. I was the first house I lived in was on White Street in Belmont, Massachusetts. My high school mascot was the Marauders. My and mother's you're going maiden name. a little name. too far back. <laughs> well, actually, I'm a little curious. Marauders, <laughs> Marauders is cool. What was the mascot? It was just a pirate face. Okay, but I get it. Yeah, yeah. It was a problem because then in all our Middlesex League games, they all called us the Butt Pirates. And mm. <laughs> it really just didn't lend itself <laughs> to... Since my graduation, they have changed it. I think now we're just the Pirates. Pirates is cool. Marauders is kind of a cooler name, but I feel like there's, like, if you're going to be a pirate, call yourselves the Pirates. The Pirates, yeah. Also, Marauders, Marauders have, is, yeah. like, I mean, it's cool, but there's there's lots of different, Marauders is a little broader than just, like, you know, the right, yeah. the it kind could, of cartoon image that comes yeah, to mind right. and you say pirate or, like, buccaneer. Mm. That's a real easy mascot to imagine. Marauder. <laughs> it could be Vikings or, yeah. you know. Uh, Genghis Khan or whatever. To maraud means to do more than just steal things from people. It also has some pretty intense dark connotations to it. Pirates were there too. Yeah, pirates did stuff. (laughs) Yeah, but now there's like Disney. Anyways, let's get on to the role play. This isn't a pirate (laughs) podcast. I mean, you guys are both wearing bandanas, but okay. All right. Because it's hot in this small room. (laughs) And I have a mullet, so. This is true. It's a fabulous mullet. Yeah, so. Uh, I met these two fine gentlemen, well, I guess one fine gentleman with two heads, um, about five, six years ago when I was in university in Colorado, and uh, they introduced me to the wonderful world of role-playing games, which I have absolutely adored since. First, I was, you know, excited about it, just for the concept of it, and then I actually really started to love the mechanics and the idea of getting in there and being able to create my own character, create my own game. I loved it. And I have been through, yeah, quite a number of iterations of the role-playing. I haven't done too much of the traditional Dungeons & Dragons. We started out with Torg, which your other guests and you guys have talked about. We have talked. To excess, yeah. Maybe not to excess. We're going to get, we're, we're talking more about Torg. Torg maybe but. deserves a revisit from us, because there's a lot of cool stuff about Torg. Not a lot of people know about it, and it was our kind of like formative experience, but... It was. Um... Yeah, that's that's not necessarily what we're getting super into tonight. Right, right. And I guess one of my absolute favorite aspects of role-playing games is being able to create characters and come up with unique individuals with awesome backstories and weird emotional 
<laughs> triggers and weird things going on in their own brain and their own personalities and then playing those throughout mm -hmm. the amazing campaigns you guys come up with. I mean, that's what the episode uh, today is going to be is, is um, character creation and backstory. But I do want to side, you know, I don't know right in the beginning, let's get off track. Because uh, you've game mastered a little bit too. You started out as a player, and then you know you've kind of been dipping your toe into game mastering. Well, you guys made game mastering look like so much fun. Like every time we would play, either Kaz or Dane would sit there with this ridiculous smirk, as like I'm gonna pull, this, I'm gonna pull my trap card on you guys now. You don't know what's gonna happen next. I made a trap card uh, joke the other night. I can't remember. Yu-Gi-Oh trap card. Yeah, yeah, something like that. A dinner at my parents' house, and like no one really got it except <laughs> Dane. But um, I thought it was very funny. I have never been a Yu-Gi-Oh guy really, but I remember what that mechanic was. Heart uh, yeah, of the cards. Heart of the cards, man. <laughs> I have said that in my office before, in my professional setting. Well, we just gotta believe in the heart of the cards. Here, guys. <laughs> it falls flat every time, but you know what? I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it's it for not, me. It's not for other people. It's not for other people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have game mastered a couple times. It's still kind of new to me. Um, I definitely fall into some of those um, traps. I think you guys have talked about where you make a super expansive world or you go way too deep into creating these super detailed dungeons, and then your player's just like, I'm gonna go left. Mm. And you're like, but the magic fairy is right, yeah. and she'll bless your armor. And it's like, well, I'm going left. And it's like, God damn it. But yeah, yeah, I've game mastered a couple times. I've been more of a player, though. Uh, that's okay, because we're talking about players creating characters, character mm -hmm. creation. So uh, let's just start off, favorite part about character creation. Okay, yeah, I'll go first. Um, so character creation used to be my like all-time favorite part of pen and paper role-playing games. Uh, but I think that was because when we first got started, Dane was the one doing the game mastering. We bought yeah. this stuff together and we got into it, and I wasn't designing adventures in the beginning. Um, had a lot of fun coming up with a character, and then like very quickly kind of realized, like, ooh, even though I like this character, I have... More ideas. More ideas. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, for me, my favorite part about character creation is just, like, the pure act of creation, which I think is why I've slid more towards the game mastering side of it. And I enjoy that more than playing because you create everything in addition to characters and not just player characters. You know, the characters and the enemies and the monsters, everything that everyone is going to interact with in the setting but character creation is a little bit different because it's you know that's the player facing side of it you think about how you're gonna interact with the world in a different way whereas when you're game mastering you create the world for everyone mm. to interact with right. so you know. and you can get into a lot of character creation when you're game mastering you know really in-depth uh, NPCs and like uh, you know um, party uh, guides or, you know, um, bad guys and stuff, you know, you get into their backstory and, like, why are they evil in the first place? But um, what I like about character creation... Hold on. Mm. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I need a, need a little wet of the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot in here. <laughs> Is getting to write a character and have their backstory and kind of, you know, their whole persona, but then develop them through role-playing, 
Because, mm. like, you know, my process is I, I don't necessarily write down every little detail or quirk of their personality. Sometimes I just leave things open, like, hmm, or see what fits. Yeah, sometimes you got to find that and then, stuff. And then, you know, oh, instead of that's like, going to be a thing. down ahead of time, mm-hmm. you got to... And you kind of... We'll get to Sharif's favorite in a second, but you reminded me of something. An idea about character creation that's different from, like, game mastering, the creation of worlds and adventures... Um, the, like, you, you get the setting usually from your game master. A good game master is going to tell you, you know, this is where it's set. This is the kind of thing that we're doing. This is the type of adventure, right? And then, um, you know, it's kind of like if someone pitched you a show or a movie or a book or something, but now you get to come up with the little piece of you that is that is part of it. It's still part of it in the same way that everything the Game Master creates for it. But that's the piece that is you. That's the, you know, the uniqueness right. of you- the experience. That comes from you creating your character, adding it to the adventure. Um, and that's the, you know, the collaborative part of pen and paper role-playing games. It's a collaborative storytelling effort between the Game Master and the players. And I think one of the best things you can do is... Even if you come up with the best idea ever for a character and you think that, like, oh, my God, this guy is going to be, like, I love this person. I love this character I created so much. They've got all this going for them. They were the third son. They've had 17 different father figures in the past. Like, whatever's going on in their life. you got to be flexible in how the character changes throughout the course of the adventure, right? And really what we do is we come up with fairly normal, like, human or cyborg or mutant creatures to play these games and then we just put them through trauma over and over again mm-hmm. right these, these dungeons or these adventures mm-hmm. we send them on are objectively pretty freaking traumatic yeah, right? so usually the, <laughs> uh, the the formula of role-playing games is not like here's a bunch of nice stuff that happened right it's like a nice day at college with your friends right things went well mm-hmm. it's you know it's about adversity and it is. and and danger and you know exploration so yeah stuff that yeah that's a really good point you create people and sometimes you create kind of wild people but usually they're less wild than the things that happen to them Mm. and you know responding to the stuff that happens that's a really fun thing to do Mm. too from the side of a player i think that is my like number one favorite thing about character creation is seeing how they change and responding to what the game master um, sets in front of me. Definitely, definitely. You know, you can sometimes create normal characters. I like to create characters that are either uh, emotionally damaged or kind of have some weird stuff going on in their past or kind of like are out of the box, you know? So they're already coming to the to square one, to frame A. Long-time and, listeners will... Maybe you remember. Like, <laughs> like, we've we've mentioned Sharif as a player before as the you know the biggest agent of Chaos. Yeah, ah. Chaos or the you know, the most difficult usually <laughs> playing the most difficult character, the one who has you know, the most problems with whatever's going on or, you know, does the least to help sometimes. Hey, well behaved women <laughs> rarely make history, right? Come on. Okay. Right? Right? Come on. Yeah, I I tend to tr- I tend to err more on the side of stirring the pot rather than adding, you know, button mushrooms to the pot and keeping things going. Because what? I don't hold on back up. That was, that was a good analogy. That was I fine. Don't know. That was fine. 
explain. Yeah, I don't know. Well, stirring the pot means like you might be stirring it vigorously. I know and spilling. stirring the pot. I don't know different kinds Adding of mushrooms. Adding button mushrooms. Well, that's a very that's a very like you know earthy flavor, very grounded thing to add to your pot of stew. You add mushrooms because you're like, oh, like you know, they're not, it's not going to wildly change. I want to see a show of hands stew. how many listeners got that. Mm. See, nobody, nobody got. It. You know what? That's what I think about that. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> But yes, I, I have in the past, and I think I will forever, as long as I continue to play role-playing games, if you give me door A and door B, I'm going to go make through, the, I'm going to make a door C. Yeah, because, mm. because it's all about the inventive ways that you come up with solving the puzzle that is, you know, find the missing piece of Anubis's onk, or, yeah. or drive the tank across the battlefield, right? So that... Is is not always like the favorite thing of a game master, <laughs> <laughs> but in your own defense here, I would say that pen and paper role playing is basically the only medium, certainly the only gaming situation where that really is, uh, where it's facilitated by by the structure of what you're doing. You know, in nowhere else you can't like you can't play a halo campaign mm. and decide, you know, no matter how into it you are and how good of an idea you have, you still can't leave the level. You can't go through an area that isn't part of the game. You can't be like, "Oh, I like I climb down on the cliff and I sneak around this uh, <laughs> this encounter." That's not how it works. You have to go through the level as it's prescribed and you right. know, different types of video games, different types of you know other interactive fiction. They do that differently to varying degrees, but pen and paper role playing is the only way that you actually can do you know anything, whatever right. you want. Right. And at the very least try it. Right. Well, that's what makes like I mean we've said it before on the podcast, but that's what makes pen and paper role playing such a interesting art form is it's not just like one person's story it's the game master and the player's story so the players can change the story they can do something completely different like maybe you know the game master has a dungeon plan where you go and you fight a lich right but then the players are like eh you know what we don't <laughs> like that uh we're going to hang at the pub well as a game master what are you going to do just you know you could force them into it or maybe they get drunk and then they end up in the dungeon or you know if you're you know want to play see how it plays out maybe you know skeletons attack the pub and it vastly changes the story being told based on player actions it does to some degree put more of an onus of responsibility on the game master to force whatever interaction they're trying to achieve through this mm -hmm. session but that also creatively challenges them to get across the point they're trying to push on you. And we, we've talked about, like, you know, creative ways game masters can mm, funnel right. their players into things. Um, there's make also, it seem like they're not, uh, you know, on a railroad track. Yeah. And there's also, there's no way to get around that. Um, I feel like we've, this idea has come up a little bit. And different game systems, you know, do this to different degrees. But... No matter how crunchy your rule system is or how rules light your rule system is, there's no way to get around the reality that, you know, eventually, or, <laughs> like, it's all on the game master. Right. You can't, you can't create a role-playing system where, you know, 
somehow the game master doesn't have to do stuff, doesn't have to react. So the idea of like, oh, I don't want to do this because it would put too much work on the game master or, you know, it would be too complicated. Like, eh, that's that's kind of uh, a road to nowhere. The game master is always going to have to Improv, be, yeah, improv yeah. And, and react. Be the computer that runs the mm. the thing. Right. If you're sitting in that seat, it's on you to yeah. make the adventure get to the point, to get to mm-hmm. the place that you want it to be, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have cooperative characters, and then sometimes I'm also playing. Look at the So, I, so you had asked me. We 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 got diverted, which I anticipate is going to happen quite a bit because. I, that's how I play the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you would ask me about what some of my favorite parts of character creation are. And um, so I think there's there's multiple ways to go about it. Um, everyone has their own idea of whether, like, you know, I don't want to include too much of my own knowledge of science fiction or fantasy or, you know, characters I know in the known world and have that influence what I'm, the character I want to make up. Some people just want to do it totally like a total new genesis of like, I'm going to create a brand new person, a, grand, a brand new character, and it's going to be awesome. I really, really love the idea of taking little bits of stories that I've adored in the past because I imagine, I know both of you, and I imagine a good portion of the audience likes to consume a lot of science fiction, fantasy, nonfiction narratives or television or movies or all of that mm-hmm. good stuff that you can just absorb and you learn about new characters, you learn about Amazing character traits about Indiana Jones, or um, what's Sigourney Weaver's character's name in Alien? Ripley. Ripley. Why did I forget that? I was going to say I was going to say Sydney, but that didn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah, let's say you you want you want a little right. bit of Ripley. Um, in in episode, get out of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> forgot. You lose your. Cool yeah, sci-fi I lose card. my cool my cool sci-fi card. All right, I'll stick to fantasy. Yeah. Uh, no, but I really, that's one of my absolute favorite things, is taking little bits of characters that I've adored in the past and trying to weave that into, like, a new person. And also, um, I think one of the most amazing things that make human beings really human, ooh, let me get really into it, <laughs> is that we all have really incredible emotional pasts and we all have really incredible emotional, like, a depth of being. And that really influences who people are and who your characters are. Like, you know, you're not making two-dimensional characters, even if it's on pen and paper, and it's arguably literally a two-dimensional thing. But you want your character to fly off the page. And you want to give them, like, a personality that is larger than life. Mm -hmm. So it's memorable, and so it actually drives the story. So for me, I love creating a character with a personality that's not just like, oh, he's a berserker. He likes axes and loose women, and, mm. and beer, you know? It's like, okay, yeah, maybe he's a berserker who likes likes ponytails and really, really likes having his nails painted, you know? Mm. Right. But well, he also he likes can, axes, yeah, you know? He like, you know, axes and loose women and beer, but also he likes to treat himself and get a pedicure every now and then. Exactly, mm. exactly, yeah. That's my favorite part of character creation, is that you make, you take something that's arguably two-dimensional from the outside perspective... And you add so much flourish to it and so much pixie dust and so much magic to it that maybe your character winds up doing weird shit during the, during the playthrough. But that, you know what? That character's memorable. And that character has a world of his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you come to the, to the table for character creation, when, when there's like a new thing coming up... What do you what do you start with first? And we're gonna we're gonna all discuss this idea. But um, 
do you do you think of the the story of your character? Do you think of like their origin and mm. you know who they are conceptually, or do you think about how you want to play them? Which which thing do you do you tend to think of first? So, of course, there's no right or wrong way, and I think that if I'm given like if you guys is the game master, if I'm given like the setting right off the bat of, like, something that's really unique, like, oh, we're on, like, a sailing, a sailboat, or, like, we're in a tank, or we're, like, in a, a CD bar or something. It's hard for me not to think about fitting my character into the story. I mean, sometimes maybe I'll come up with somebody that is just so off and so unique that he could really just fit, or they could just fit into anything. But personally, I think I do like to come up with how my character will play the game, rather than thinking so much of how they'll fit into the story. Because I think naturally, just by being part of the setting, they will fit into the story well, because they're there. We're talking about how to fit into the story, but like we're talking about like backstory of the character, their right. origin. Yeah. Oh, so do you, origin, think, yeah. do you think about who they are, what they've been through first, mm. or do you think about how, how you want to spread your interact? stats out and what like you know equipment you want to give them? Oh, do you, like, I see. Okay. Yeah, do you... Um, Right, for example, uh, your character has a rifle. Do you think about, like, maybe their dad was a ranger and right. gave them the rifle first? Or do you think about, I want a rifle, and then, well, how did they get the rifle? Let's see. Maybe their dad gave it to them. Right. Mm. Do you think, like, you know, they're going to be a sniper? Right. It, because that's how you want to play this time. Or do you think of, you know, a personality and a, and a, and a background and then from there come to like your equipment and your gameplay style. Okay, backing up on my first answer, I am. And 100%. I guess in like in D and D terms, that'd be like your class and right, stuff. Do you right. you know? Do you do you think of who they are first, or do you pick like how you play them right. first? Yeah, I'm totally in the camp of I'm gonna come up with my character and who that character is first. And then be like, oh, I guess he, or I guess they have a sword, or I guess they have a bow and arrow, or I guess they have, you know, a magic wand, right? Mm -hmm. I love coming up with, like, a unique backstory for a character, even if it's not super applicable, just because, like I said before, that makes that character jump off the page, mm -hmm. right? If that character was raised by wolves, but now they're a kindergarten teacher, you're going to be like, who the <laughs> fuck is this person, right? Like, why? what is going on with this person? Right. He's a kindergarten teacher that fights orcs, but he was raised by wolves. <laughs> is he even qualified to be a kindergarten teacher? <laughs> Do I want my kid being taught by this guy? I mean, that sounds interesting. That's pretty cool. But, so where are these yeah. orcs? Are they attacking the school? Well, yeah, I mean, you, of course, the kindergarten. <laughs> the kindergarten's in Mordor. Uh -huh. I mean, it's, it's, it's an immersive it's, learning experience. And you throw your kids, you know, it's expeditionary learning for these children in Mordor. I'm, I'm very much in the same camp. Uh, I for for two reasons. I really enjoy coming up with you know the conceptual idea of who the character is first, and then you know thinking about the play style, thinking about the the ability scores, the stats, and the equipment um, second, because I like when you know what you end up with isn't great for the mm -hmm. situation you're in because then you have to you know then your character struggles a little more mm. that's more interesting story and it pushes creativity right and this and then the second reason which might not be the same for everybody and also probably wildly varies depending on who's game mastering 
but it's been my experience that when I start something, specifically a character for a role-playing campaign or session, when I start from, you know, I want them to be a sniper, you know, I want them to have this cool sword. When I start from that, I end up with something really shallow. And I end up, like, having already kind of got myself stuck like Austin Powers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everybody... Pictures the meme. Yeah. <laughs> or or that tanker in the Suez Canal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, that's a little more. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of that first. That's much more current and relevant. Um, yeah. The, the, the evergreen? Ever, ever given. Ever given. Ever, right. ever mm-hmm. given. Um, I like R. Austin R. Powers better. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So if you, if you come up with that idea and you're like, yeah, I want my guy to be a sniper guy. He's going to be sneaky and he's got a big gun and he can, you know, like, I want to play him this way. Mm-hmm. I end up usually with a character who I don't actually like playing that much mm. because I started with what I consider to be the wrong thing. The thing that would come naturally after right. you come up with who they are. Then you'd be like, oh, yeah. So because of who they are and how they were raised and like what planet they came from or whatever. That's why they are this person that they are. And that means they would have this equipment and they would be this class and they would fight this way and they would solve problems this way. And then everything just like clicks a lot better, even though on paper they might be capable of the same thing. Either way. Dan, you have to well, no, I'm I'm definitely more of a more of a half and half kind of guy. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's you know, good. I, I, I I jump around in my character creation. Uh, it's just part of my creative process. Are you know maybe gets um, a cool concept like for a character like a lore master, and then okay, how do I build a lore master? Uh, you know, uh, maybe I start with equipment. Like, what's what's his deal? Um, Maybe he's a little more stealthy. All right, so I'll give him some items for stealth. All right, well then, where's some backstory? You know, where did he grow up? And, you know, I kind of use both things to inform the other. You know, instead of like a kind of a linear process, which you guys are describing, you know, start with the origin and move forward. Mm. I kind of like, you know, I jump around and be like, you know what? I really want to use a spear. This character is going to use a spear. Why? Uh, well, uh, you know, I think about that later. You know, let's let's write the spear down. Okay, he's got a spear, and you know, then it goes from there. I see it, it too. Jumps back and forth. I totally see it too because, like, on your third or fourth playthrough of Oblivion or Skyrim, you're not going to be a sneak archer again, right? You're like, mm-hmm. this time, mm-hmm. I want to be a heavy armor guy. And right? you're going to decide that in the beginning, right? You're going to be like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to wear heavy armor and I'm going to do a two-handed weapon right. playthrough. And even though situations would go better for me if I did it differently, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to force myself to play it a certain way because that's how I want to play it this time. And the time. story comes after that. Then you're like, okay, well, maybe they were a soldier in the rebellion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Speaking specifically, Skyrim. Also, having different play styles, uh, we keep talking about weaponry, but also mm-hmm. you could, you know, have their, like, social aspect be like, oh, through the roof, like, this guy, he's... Charismatic He's as charismatic fuck, as right? fuck, right? Oh, my God. But right? I think that idea, if you're going to make charisma and charisma-related skills or abilities or spells, whatever game system you're playing, if you're going to make that the main thing that, you know, the thing that is, like, definitive about your character and the thing that you, uh, you know, focus on when you're playing... That comes a lot easier when you come up with 
conceptually who the mm. character is rather than start with I'm going to make charisma my highest stat. I don't know about that. Um, yeah, for my that well. for my um, my spooky uh, maybe, down under well, character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nigel Bruce the third. <laughs> Give us some context here. What's spooky down? Um, Cosmo, That's true. I don't think anyone yeah, knows that much about this well, one. It's relatively recent. Um, Cosmo ran in the Eclipse Engine a um, it was sort of uh, it, it was Eldritch. Like it's kind of like a Call of Cthulhu adventure for you know fans of the wider role playing beyond D and D and Pathfinder. Call of Cthulhu is another really popular one, and also people know the, you know, Lovecraft, right. Cthulhu mythos, the the cosmic horror uh, literature genre. Um, so what it was, was kind of a Western, but it was in Australia. So, you know, a Western, but different. And, um, you know, it was about a spooky cult and some, uh, you know, rich bad guy doing evil stuff and characters who kind of got like swept into something that at first they didn't understand what was going on and then they realized well we need to stop this guy because he's evil Mm. um that was yeah it was a you know infiltrate and stop a cult adventure was the premise and and dane's character so i i just wanted to play a more um sociable charismatic character than, like, a competent, you know, tactician and kind of, you know, it's... A lot of my characters are, you know, competent in combat. So this guy was not. Um, he had more mental um, uh, abilities or whatever. He was mm-hmm. better on the mental side yeah. of stats. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I decided that that's why how, how I wanted to play. So the backstory came after that. I decided that, yeah, he's charismatic. Why is he charismatic? Well, because his dad was pretty abusive and a drunk. <laughs> so, like, you know, you got to get really good at reading people and pleasing people, you know, in order not to get dead. That's fucking dark. Yeah. Damn. Also, his mom is an opium addict. Jesus Christ. Fitz, you Nigel. said gothic horror, and I kind of, like, bypassed that. That's accurate. It's, it's what it is. It was, you know, it was meant to be, like, eldritch horror, but also... Domestic uh, horror too. Well, so like Jesus. American Gothic, <laughs> but in Australia, yeah. you know, it was like big, fancy, rich. Uh, you know, he wasn't a plantation owner; he was a professor, I mm. think. But like the bad guy had a big, fancy estate, and you know, the kind of like the darkness that goes with stuff like that, with like uh, Victorian era high mm-hmm. society. Yeah, I think that fits really well with you know, like kid comes from a ranching family, and you know, like drunk terrible father turns him into you know this this character who like pleases reads other people so he can please them because he's you know traumatized and needs to do that and so i think that adds a lot to a character's like depth of persona adding like a previous trauma in their life right nobody gets to to being an adventurer without like mm-hmm. having a little taste for for the the dark side of life right so i can totally see yeah. that and on the internet, that's well-trod um, territory. Nobody, nobody goes adventuring because they're they were ha- happy. Yeah, they're happily married <laughs> and their mortgage is paid off. You go adventuring because your parents die, you or know, you're in debt, or you know something. The same reason, story. like you get into crime in like the modern world. You don't do crime because, like, oh yeah, I'm super into it. What a horny thing crime is. You do crime I mean, because it's the only option. Right, but generally speaking, generally speaking, you know, in like 
the socioeconomic factors that push people mm. into lives of crime, mm. you do crime because that's your only option. Because that's your option. That is, mm. you don't have the option to go to you know, grad school. Yeah, and, to yeah. to like build your life in the conventional means. So you go into something else. Same with adventurers. You you get into adventuring usually. For a weird reason. Right. And I know you guys are super careful about the whole doxing thing, but it's worth saying that Cosmo knows so much about the life of crime and what it takes to push (laughs) yourself into a life of crime because of, you know, I won't go there, unexplained, you know, certain circumstances in his his, his life up to this point where he really (laughs) skirted the fine line of heroic, you know, good guy and, you know, mastermind criminal, but... I'm in the room with I you. Think so masterminds I feel a little, yeah, it's a little generous, petty. Isn't it? Yeah, petty. petty. Petty is more petty of a crime. Yeah, petty crime. Yeah, that's more appropriate. Yeah, that's a long bit to just like <laughs> call me a petty criminal. <laughs> that's so it. That's many, the punchline. Is I wasn't even good at fake crime. From Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, ironically, I was talking originally about how I love so much to come up with like a crazy backstory or come up with like a really intricate, wild, wild three-dimensional character before, I'm like, yeah, he also has a spear or a sword. Mm-hmm. But my first character I ever created, um, this was in the Torg, and this was six or seven years ago before we knew what the hell we were doing. You keep adding time to that and making us older and older. Um, just let it happen. Let it happen. Um, <laughs> it was like four or five years ago tops. So six or seven years ago when I made my <laughs> first character. Uh, I, 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 I can get down with six. 2015. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. I guess was that's Was Cause right. out of jail by then? I think he was still in jail <laughs> in 2015. Yeah. He did, he did do a stint in Pendleton. He did, yeah. That's, that's not, not jail. jail. And that's a different joke. And that's a different joke. <laughs> Take a laugh. Um, no, so the first character I came up with, because I'd, I'd known about role-playing games as a concept, and I kind of knew that it... In my mind, it was all combat. Mm. And in my mind, there was, like, you know, elements where you go to the bar and you buy supplies, you go to the inn and, and keep up, you know, upkeep, you buy food and whatnot. To be fair, especially when it comes to D&D, the most popular of all the role-playing games, there is a lot of rules and there's a lot of abilities and there's so many spells and items and shit, but most of it is all combat-focused. Right. And people right. will be like, oh, I run adventures that are, you know, a little less combat-heavy, a little more uh, politics or mystery heavy, but the rule system of D&D, which is what most people think of when they play role-playing games, right. is heavily weighted towards grid-based combat. Right. So you could be forgiven for thinking that, especially if you hadn't played anything before. Totally, totally. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'll take I'll take that. I'll take <laughs> that forgiveness and run with it. The first character I ever created was, like, a non-combat person. He was, mm. like, a monk, like a religious monk. He was a swami. And, um... Because I knew that everyone was going to make, like, you know, really adequate tacticians or combat veterans. And I was like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to make a guy that gives away figs and sings songs to children and also blesses his I teammates. I remember the fig incident. The fig incident. There were multiple fig incidents, right? <laughs> Which was actually, I would say, like, kind of wild, but also... Like, a pretty badass thing to do. I said D&D is really combat-focused. Torg actually is a little less combat-focused in its rule system. Torg being a skill-plus stat, or a stat-plus skill um, role-playing game where you can create skills just out of whole cloth, and you can create a character like the Swami who is a non-violent, you know, 
talker. Mm. You could also create a master painter and build the stats, you know, stuff like that. You don't have to be the the archetypical, you know, role-playing badass. Right. Even though the story of Torg kind of, like, nudges you in that direction. It's like, you're a Storm Knight. You are some sort of badass from one of these realms, and you fight evil. Right. But the game system actually really facilitated you, or anyone, creating a character who is actually less combat and fights evil by, you know, doing sort of mundane good in right. the world, which is kind of the character you created. Oh, that's really so interesting. Sweet. That's so sweet. Fights evil by doing mundane good. Can we have a can we make a role playing game just based on that? Like I mean, walking your no. elderly neighbor across the street. We're busy with other things. Yeah, we could write it and like no one would buy it, but no one buys any of our other stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if, I don't, just say, okay, if, the answer yes. If you tap into the Good Samaritan market, <laughs> I don't know, no one's there. I don't know. I I don't think the idea has legs, because, uh, <laughs> like you know, role-playing games are about conflict. <laughs> about and I conflict. think that's why they lean more towards combat, or at the very least, you know, interpersonal conflict. Right. But. Right. And that's actually a really good, that's a really, that's a really good idea, too, we should talk about at some point. Interpersonal conflict, and that. Leads in, leading into character creation, <laughs> but that was an instance with that character, the Swami, mm. where I was like, I didn't even have, I had no idea. I still don't really remember what his backstory was because it was so insignificant, right? That I was just like, I want to be a non-combatant that's mm. thrust into combat and just like doesn't know what to do and sing songs and like kind of like a bard, right? But I didn't know mm-hmm. that really existed at the time when I created that character. Well, so like maybe benefited from that as well because yeah. right. you didn't fall into any uh, like you know meme stereotypes of the bard as you know like a squishy non-combatant but also a disruptive slut right who you know ruins things. Oh God, am I just a bard? <laughs> well, in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not go there. <laughs> well, I didn't call you a slut. <laughs> well, I was talking about because it's not a <laughs> bad thing to be. Um, you know, not here to yuck anyone's yums, but. <laughs> oh, jeez. I am targeted here. I'm feeling targeted. <laughs> I just right, said a so, bunch of nice things yeah, about you. That's true. You did say, you did, you did, you did describe. Well, I'm, I want to, let's take a step back from yuck and yums. Um, and. Yuck, 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 yuck. Talking about how you don't really remember the backstory of the Swami, probably because it was shallow and insignificant your, mm-hmm. your words right it was, it was. I, right I didn't really but you did focus play. you yeah. began so, that character creation with how you wanted to play him right how right. answer this um you know we have it on the outline here backstory informing character decisions uh without like a really deep backstory there mm. what informed your you know game decisions because that's kind of the point right, right. you come up with uh you come up with who the character was or, you know, is now and why they are who they are now. And you use that to inform decisions. But if you didn't really spend very much time with the, you know, like who they are and where they came from, did you just like spin a moral compass out of whole cloth? And, you know, it's it sounds like a lot of what you did was come up with how you wanted to play the game right. and go from there rather right. than character backstory stuff. So, yeah. How did you how did you make those decisions without having like a really clear um, backstory? Because maybe some people listening don't feel like they can uh, they can just poop out a good backstory. You know, maybe they feel like 
they need to start with right. what right. are their weapons, what are their class, and that's not a stuff like that. No, but you but you did that. Product, so right. tell us a little bit about how that went for you and what your decision making process looked like when you were playing. I think to take a step back and review some of the characters I've created in the past to play these games as a whole. I think Swami was he was memorable because it was my first. So you always remember your first. Um, but I think he was not a very successful character in terms of, you know, accomplishing the mission objectives or really even just moving the story too far, too much, like moving the story forward, really. He didn't really do too much of that. And so a lot of the decisions I was making while playing that character who didn't have a strong background and just had these mechanics I wanted him to have, you know, he carried food around and, and played songs. Well, he like chanted stuff. He didn't really have an instrument. I guess I just, I kind of just imagined myself as that character, and I think it just depends on the player. I think some players have an easier time really imagining that they are their characters, and like, you know, pretending that, you know, I am the Swami, I'm at an inn, there's all of these like rambunctious people around me, I don't drink because it's, you know, I don't mess with that, mm -hmm. so what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to go over by the fire and play with my, play with my figs and then hand them out to people that look like they're inebriated, right? People that look like they need help or a little blessing, right? Mm -hmm. So be, just because of the nature of that character, because he didn't have enough going for him, I think, is, is what I'm trying to get at. I didn't really get it that much done, but in terms of the decisions I made, I think I just really pretended like I was the Swami, and I was surrounded by a centurion, and there was a, a, like a, a crocodile soldier, maybe? Is that what you were? No, well, I was running. He was running it. I can't remember who it. I was at that point. Was I think Gordon you were still or was Detective I Gordon Lizard? Yeah, no, you, were, you were still no, Detective Gordon. Okay, the Lizard. Yeah. No, you, no, you were a detective. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Detective yeah. Gordon. Um, and Enzo was like a Enzo was Amazonian like spear woman. Nope. Enzo no. was Spots. The yeah. Enzo the, Enzo was an African like gun bearer oh, for yeah. for a white hunter with the necklaces. Right. Yeah. yeah. So and I just figured, based on the is that it? I feel like there was more of us. Taylor played. Did he play that time? I think at that point Taylor was sitting Taylor on the sidelines, yeah. feeling like he wasn't creative enough to participate. Which we've we fixed him of that. Yeah, yeah we've we cured him of that. We learned him that. Yeah, or Im whatever. Im important thing to note: here we are talking about the creative nature of character of like coming up with characters, playing the game as a whole, being mm -hmm. the game master. I think that some people might imagine there's a there's a creative barrier to entry into doing things like this, and I think that's utter garbage. I think one of the things that you can use as a stepping stone if you feel like there's a creative barrier to entry is just be like, I'm going to be Indiana Jones, but Indiana Jones uses a gun, right? Mm -hmm. And just go with that, you know, and then and let it develop on its Indy own. Indy does have a gun. Yeah. When does Indiana Jones use a gun? Whenever he has Never. one. <laughs> sometimes, it, like, sometimes he drops it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he takes one from a Nazi, but he has a Webley. And now that I'm thinking about it, I remember the scene with, like, the the... The Mujahideen swordsman, right? And he yeah. Just, oh, he shoots Bang. him. Yeah. yeah, he just shoots him. Yeah. That's his gun. He's had that gun since before the Great War. All right, fine. Indiana Jones, but he uses a lightsaber. Happy? <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah. But really, like, that's something I talked about earlier. The idea of, like, you've all consumed, like, so much media in your life. And maybe you want to play, like, Justin Trudeau, but Justin Trudeau is a Secret Service agent, you know? Like, anybody sure. in the world you've been exposed well, to. In your and, life. like, um, probably why D&D is so popular is D&D &D does a great job of um, 
like prompt giving, right? With all mm-hmm. their like backstories and like you know being yeah. Apprentice there's a bunch of stuff. There's or... a bunch of like Lego blocks you can take to pick to mm-hmm. build your character. Right. Like my guy was a soldier, mm-hmm. or he is a local hero, or whatever those things and the things that he likes and the things that he doesn't like. You can mm-hmm. pick from a list. To make a guy. Well, I think, you know, Sharif, you touch on a great point, you know, and let's let's just put it on the board. Mm. Um, it takes, it does, you don't need to be, like, a renowned creative to role play. And it's not, like, bad that, like, oh, well, you know, I can't really think of, you know, anything there. Or, you know, for my backstory. You know, just goof, you know, uh, and like nobody's gonna, you know, well, nobody should shame you and like kick you out of the party for not being creative enough. If your friends right? are shaming you for not being creative, come be friends with us. Yeah. Because come, we're not going like, to do that to you. Have friend, different friends. Yeah. It's a. Uh, Move to Colorado. Move to <laughs> Avenue on. <laughs> and we'll be friends. Like, come on over. You don't even live here, man. I know. Stop you giving out my address. Fake doxed us <laughs> and. You're not even here. You have a criminal record, sir. It's easy to find you. You keep saying that. That like, that joke has no roots <laughs> in anything. They don't barely know even a joke. They don't know that. Yeah. Anyways, you heard it from Sharif, and I guess that's that makes it true. The gospel. I'm crime. I'm crime guy. <laughs> You're crime guy. It's you true. Should, you should be the crime head next time. <laughs> oh my foreshadowing. Um. All right. So. Uh, we kind of got off track on that one. Um, mm. Backstory informing game decisions. Um, I think it's kind of a, well, not necessarily a necessity, but that's how you use your backstory. You come up with this exciting backstory that leaps off the page. Mm. It should inform your game decisions. Like your decisions that your character makes shouldn't conflict with their backstory. Like if they're you know, have a backstory, you know, non-violent and, you know, raised in the priesthood or the monkhood or what, you know, whatever yeah. Swan was. And, like, they like helping people and doing little acts of kindness. Then they shouldn't be, like, just randomly mean. Right. And I, I appreciated how much you stuck to that. And I think a lot of people might have actually found that pretty difficult, especially when, you know, stuff got kind of... Because as, as I recall in that adventure when you were playing Swami, um, we were in a city controlled by the Nazis. Not Nazis, but the, you know, whoever the bad guys were like in, in the Nile Egyptian Empire. Egyptian space yeah. Nazis. Whatever they, those guys, Egyptian yeah. space Nazis? Yeah, that's, mm. that was the whole thing about Well, that's, Tor, oh, Tor yeah, yeah, is yeah, like yeah, yeah. the, Mobius. the evil yeah. bad guys come from other realms and then change the realm that they settle in right. on Earth. And so, like, Egypt and North Africa and the Nile Valley was all kind of like pulp fiction and instead of Nazis like Indiana Jones it was you know like they were uh, literally called shock troopers yeah they were called shock troopers right, uh, but they right. wore um, they wore like little headdresses like little pharaoh headdresses and like cloth skirts and bandoliers over bare chests and it was a really right. cool pulp uh, pulp adventure go back to what you were saying where you were praising, <laughs> where you were praising I was, was praising <laughs> go back to that yeah. yeah okay so when we got in confrontations with the shock troopers, um, it would have been real easy to be like, okay, well, you know, what can I do in this situation? For like you, 
as the player, for the player to be like, well, what do I have at my disposal? Well, I have a staff or I have like a, you know, a bottle on the table from, you know, we were sitting here and the, mm. and the Nazis came into the bar. I could throw a bottle at them or could I, I like hit them with my stick. But instead, you stuck to your guns and remained nonviolent, even in violent situations. When my friends were getting situations. shot. Yeah. Which is, also, you, you know, know like, let's not miss the irony of stuck to his guns. Yeah, with, hey. yeah, because he didn't have he one. he didn't have any guns. I didn't. And they're all spraying with Nazi machine guns, and everyone else is shooting at everybody and getting into fist fights. Like, and, would a fig help? Yeah. Oh, well, would a fig... My, my sticking fist. to that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do, because, you know, it's counter... Um, what is it? It's 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 non-optimal. Right. If you think of it like a war game, totally, totally, it is it is unoptimal for you to you know like knock the table over and kind of crouch behind it and not try and hit one of the bad guys with your stick. But it is in keeping with what your character would do, and that idea also gets thrown on thrown around on the internet a lot as like a joke, like oh, it's what my character would do as an excuse for mm-hmm. being a dick. Yeah, yeah, it's usually right? used as an excuse for being a dick. I have used that before as an excuse to be a dick mm-hmm. a number most of certainly. times, most certainly. Um, so I think, like, it's what my character we it's what my character <laughs> would do. That's not a bad thing to say. Yeah. But sometimes it's a lie. You right? know, like, sometimes so, it's not what your character would yeah. do. Sometimes your character, like, oh, my character would do this optimal, you know, mm-hmm. thing and just, like, stab this guy because I want the money. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you wouldn't. Because... Because you're a fucking paladin. Yeah, you're, right. and your character, even if you weren't, you know, morally opposed, even if your character wasn't morally opposed to the act, your character would have some sense of the trouble they would get in and the trouble they would get their friends into by doing something like that and treating it like a video game where, you know, There's if no you just high enough power and you can just hit everybody, mm. that, you know... That doesn't really work, mm. but it's what my character would do, and you actually like stick to a you know a strict, mm. lawful good alignment, or your nonviolent swami, uh, you know, moral yeah. philosophy. Then, it's what my character would do in quotations can actually be a really really powerful thing, even when it doesn't necessarily mm. help you win the fight. It does positively move the story forward. And you point. don't need to be locked into that strict, rigid code. Maybe you're playing an arc where your character maybe gets some, like, you know, wiggle room mm. in their code. Where, you know, at first they start out and they're like, you know, do no harm, you know, can't kill anybody. And then, you know, through their travels, they're like, you know, some people just need to die. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, that brings it right back full circle, baby. Let's go to what we talked about in the beginning of plasticity and letting your characters mm. grow throughout yeah. the story because we're putting them through trauma. Like, a Swami doesn't want to be in a gunfight. If he's in a gunfight, he's morally conflicted, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe there's room for character growth or character change or dynamic character, you know, expansion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, let's, let's recap because we went. Full circle here. Mm-hmm. So, let's you, let's you not, said it. Let's not eat the tail. It. Let's just nibble it a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Yeah. I mean, so we mm-hmm. talked about our favorite favorite points of character creation um, and then, like, kind of our process. You know, uh, for me, I'm a kind of half and half guy. I like to think about 
you know, a general concept and then maybe some mechanics and some stats or some equipment and then jump back and forth. For the other two guys, you know, they like it linear and, you know, nice, you know, one man, one woman kind of deal. <laughs> Line- linear is such I think a you maybe s- misused. <laughs> linear. linear is not a good way to describe it. <laughs> I would say it's much more magical. We did. Um, so but we did. Me and Sharif both talked about um, beginning beginning with the story and beginning yeah. with the uh, the kind of like the personality of who a character is and where they came from and then using that to inform how you actually play them. Um, and I would say just because that's where we have landed, the three of us in this discussion, that doesn't mean that if you're coming to D&D, maybe for the first time or, or maybe for the hundredth time. Or the Eclipse Engine. Or the Eclipse Engine. Anything. Uh, Clips Engine, available for free. Thank you. On, on 2HGM.com. <laughs> That's right, baby. Uh, anyone can download anyone can play it. It's free. It's fucking free, people. Just try it. Um, just like I used, to, <laughs> I used to take pizzas from Walmart, totally free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're saying I did that, like, <laughs> but based on nothing. Uh, jokes need setup. <laughs> there was tons of setup. There wasn't. 45 minutes of setup. It's fine. So, and so okay, we talked so about like, backstory, if, informing game decisions, and mm-hmm. like, you know, fitting in to the character's thought process and well, stuff. Well, thing oh. to say. If, if you come to character creation and gameplay is the first thing you think about, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, totally. Especially, uh, you know, with something like D&D, which is so heavily focused on grid-based combat. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways can be just as much of a like tabletop war game as it is a you know uh, role playing game if you want to come to it as you know like i want to play it this way that's not a bad thing no no, no, no there's no wrong way to do this stuff this is just a discussion kind of abstract and kind of rambling about mm-hmm. the way we three personally think about it and mm-hmm. the things that you know we do and don't do in what order and what we don't like. And Very do well like. said. We've even so. talked about the benefits of sometimes, you know, coming up with a character just based on a mechanic you want to use mm-hmm. and then being honest to that in your playthrough. Yeah, sticking, and how that can progress sticking the story. to it. And just yeah. because that hasn't always worked for us doesn't mean it might not be fantastic for your experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's you know, it's just it is it's all fun. Experience. It's just fun. Have mm-hmm. fun. Um, Put it up on the yeah. board. Yeah. Have fun. Have fun. That's on the board. Yeah. Yeah. It's the board. Yeah, we just put it up on the board. But it's been on the board. Have fun is the first rule on the board, guys. I no, mean, board, I don't think it is. It's like an SSC. It wipes every time. Yeah. It's fine. And then we put it up And then we, we put, put a new thing on the board. It's yeah. like uh, the, you know, brought to you by the letter three. This, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, nobody doesn't like Baltimore. <laughs> we have diverging <laughs> concepts on what a board should be, on what, what note-taking should be, but we're not going to get into that because... Well, next episode, we will talk about what a board is and should be. Just kidding. Yeah. I will fly back here to have a board discussion. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what we're Not necessary. Next episode, what we're actually going to do um, is we're going to play a little adventure with Sharif still. Hey. Um... And it's going to be all about character creation. It's going to be about the whole adventure. And I've, I've, I've come up with this for the purpose of just being an exercise in character creation. And, you know, we'll see how it hits. It's not going to be the most deep adventure. But you're going to get to really have some fun with the characters you play. That's the point of what's coming up. I cannot wait. So, um, if you want 
if you liked this, you want to hear more, you want to see what else we're doing, check out 2HDM.com. Uh, we have a contact feedback section. We also have the Eclipse Engine available for free. For free! Uh, we also have a Patreon. We would appreciate any and all support. Um, we're going to keep making this no matter what, but... Uh, it would be nice if you threw us some Skrilla, just, you know, because there's been some expenses that, you know... Um, like beer. We go through a lot yeah, of beer. Yeah, we just we're uh, drinking the beer while we're hanging out. That is absolutely not true. <laughs> um, the predominating expense. But anyways, join us but next But it's a time. recurring expense. It's not, yeah, you yeah. know, like yeah. a... It's not like a microphone where you buy it and then the cost is over and it lasts forever. That's true. We have to keep buying beer. Mm-hmm. And soon the beer budget will far exceed mm-hmm. the... the Join us next time for another episode <laughs> of Two-Headed Game Master. Uh, I guess because you're our guest, do you have a recommendation? you want to plug anything? Shrey? Yeah, sometimes we do this. We're yeah, not so, getting paid. Is so, there anything cool you want to tell people? So about? my phone number is uh, six. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> starts with a six. It starts with a six. You can find me. I mean, I think I've already doxed myself. People, I don't think it does. <laughs> it, I would know my own number. Um, I don't really have anything to, to promote. I have... I, well, what have you been reading? What have you been watching? Yeah. Oh, oh. Like, you know, what's a good things? book yeah. or whatever. You don't have to be like a famous YouTuber and plug your channel. Just I'm, like, I'm what's not, something cool? I'm not a famous YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. They don't know that, though. Well, they know now. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> Let's see. What did I read recently that I... So, we're doing a book club of Hyperion. supposed Hyper- to be real I, quick. We're doing a book yeah. club of Hyperion. That's been really good. I uh, did recently finish Hyperion. Hyperion's pretty cool. That's been really cool. Yeah, that's really, really good. Who's um, it by? Yeah, this Dan is... Dan Simons. Simmons. Okay. Right. Simons? Simmons? Simmons. Hyperion Simmons. by Dan Simmons. That's, an, that's pretty a classic good. old school one, yeah. It's not that old school. It doesn't matter. I'm out of here. That... <laughs> All right, people. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this episode of 2HGM. Uh, thank you to the Burning Saviors for the use of their song, Pond Hill's Finest, intro and outro of our program. And we join us next time. We're going to do a little live play with Sharif. And I believe that's it. See you next time. See ya. Yay!